the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Chris Williams, he's the guy today. He's engineering, he's producing, he's engineering the whole uh, the whole shebang, all the stations here. So appreciate that in the absence of uh, the regular guys. So glad to have you uh, with us, Chris. I want to let you know that later this um, this program, second hour, Mark Morano, he's the author of a book I would highly recommend, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, uh, outlining what we have gone through, what we're facing, and what the uh, global elites say they want to accomplish in the days ahead. Unless, of course, there's pushback. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And if you if you can, please stick around to listen to that conversation. If you can't, go to the podcast, because I think it's an important book, and you may want to uh, avail yourself of it. Now, I have to, by way of disclaimer, I have to mention that I'm a little, I'm struggling a little bit today, because as I look up from where all of my papers are spread all over the desk, I see the forehead of a little green creature. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. It's that baby Yoda thing. And it's staring at, I can only see the eyes and the, the top of the head staring at, and the ears uh, from the engineer's booth. This is a form of harassment. I haven't spoken yet to HR, but I'm certain this is like working in a sweatshop. Uh, certainly not ideal conditions. I'll try not to be distracted, but I have to admit it's a little difficult when that thing is looking right at me. Anyway, now I've said it publicly when the lawsuit... <laughs> It's now waving. This is not good. When the lawsuit is filed, uh, I will have witnesses. Make note, Chris Williams. Well, taking a look at the news, Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday warned residents to take all necessary precautions against uh, what is expected to be the storm of the century, Hurricane Ian. Now, Chris, you have a son, Ian. Anyway, it's approaching the coast of Florida. The governor's update came as St. Pete Clearwater International Airport said its terminal will close at 1 p.m. due to mandatory evacuation orders from the Pinellas County and remain closed until the evacuation order is lifted. And I should mention that's 1 p.m. on Tuesday. Flights were resuming on Monday and Tuesday morning as scheduled. Well, Tampa International Airport, meanwhile, said that it was exempt from the storm evacuation order and remains open. But if you're planning on flying in or out, you might want to check that out as uh, as the time uh, gets closer. The airport may begin shutting down parts of its airfield and facilities in the next 24 to 48 hours, as expected. Hurricane Ian impacts and winds speeds uh, increase and weather becomes more severe, the airport said in a statement. It's been over a century since a major storm like Hurricane Ian has struck the Tampa Bay area, which blossomed from a few hundred thousand people in 1921 to more than three million today. Many of these people live in low-lying neighborhoods that are highly susceptible to storm surges and flooding, and they've rarely uh, before experienced such a thing, which some experts say could be worsened by the effects of climate change. We won't get into that now, but 
I'll just leave it at that. Well, speaking at the State Emergency Operations Center, DeSantis, the governor, said that Floridians up and down the Gulf Coast should feel the impacts of Hurricane Ian. It will bring heavy rains, strong winds, flash flooding, storm surge, along with isolated uh, tornado activity along Florida's Gulf Coast. Floridians up and down the Gulf should feel the impacts of this as up to 36 hours before the actual landfall. Uh, due to the size of the hurricane, this is a really big one at this uh, at this point. The governor gave a second press conference later today uh, in Pinellas County, advising residents to know their evacuation zone because it's highly likely they will be evacuated. In other news, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, an index that tracks the performance of major stocks, fell by nearly 330 points on Monday, slipping into bear market territory. The term bear market refers to a prolonged decline in investment prices and is typically recognized when a broad market index fall by 20 percent or more from its most recent high. Uh, it's down 20.5% to 29,260.81 from its January 4th record high. Uh, close of 36,799. The S&P 500 also set a new closing low uh, for 2022 on Monday, uh, also falling the NASDAQ composite, the third of the three uh, headline stock indices, also measured a significant sell-off. So make note if you are in the market. Well, in a case of political pollution, a climate group influencing the president's green agenda has deep ties to the Chinese communist government. And on the storm watch, Ian rapidly strengthened into a hurricane as it barrels toward Florida's Gulf Coast. No sense of security. A real estate CEO warns that San Francisco may never recover from soaring crime. There are concerns San Francisco's rising crime is negatively impacting the city's businesses. Hamid Moghadam, the CEO of San Francisco's based um, real estate company, Prologis, was uh, robbed outside his home at gunpoint in broad daylight in June. All hands on deck. The murder capital of America is desperate for help and resorts to an unconventional means to bolster the police force. Well, the New Orleans Police Department is hiring civilians to help with the force's staffing issues and allow for more police officers to patrol the streets as violent crimes such as murder spike. Well, the White House is refusing to say if President Biden would favor limits on abortion, one might guess, however. On critical issues, from abortion to education to grocery prices, women will play a big role in the November midterms. Men need not apply as a military academy promotes fellowship that bans cisgender men. I'm not sure how that works in terms of morale and uh, working as a unit on the battlefield, but that's the choice, the direction they're going. There's a battle brewing as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis faces a new lawsuit over migrants flown to Martha's Vineyard. Keep the faith. Vice President Harris says you don't have to change your deeply held beliefs to support a woman's right to choose an abortion. I'm not sure how that equation matches up if they're deeply held beliefs, but I'm quoting the vice president. Governor DeSantis leads former President Trump in the Sunshine State, according to USA Today. The former president's support among Republican voters in Florida for another presidential bid has significantly eroded this year. A USA Today Suffolk University poll finds as Governor Ron DeSantis has uh, scored gains in the home state they now share. In a hypothetical 2024 presidential primary in the Sunshine State, DeSantis now leads Trump 48 to 40 percent. That's a reversal from the USA Today uh, Suffolk poll of Florida in January when Trump led DeSantis 47 to 40 percent.
National Review says that DeSantis currently is conducting a re-election campaign for governor in the Sunshine State, has consistently stayed on the GOP's 2024 radar as he has uh, harnessed the state's executive power and legislative majority to achieve conservative policy goals. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. Once again, coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Mark Morano. He's the author of The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the American Christian population could fall below 50% by 2070. Or perhaps it will burgeon. One never knows. These speculative uh, polls indicate that this is Axios. Christians could fall below 50% of the U.S. population by 2070 and re- if recent trends continue. On the other hand, there could be a great revival and the entire population of the city of Portland and the outlying areas could come to Christ and that could sweep the nation and there would be significant numbers. So this is always interesting to me, but it has no relationship to what may or may not happen. By the way, are you praying for revival? Are you Are you sharing your faith? You could change this whole thing. Anyway, I regress, or I digress. Uh, Again, Axios, Christians could fall below 50% of the United States population by 2070 if recent trends continue. That's according to the Pew Research Center. Um, Why it matters, in 2020, about 64% of Americans, including children, were Christian, or at least said they were Christian, people who are religiously accounted for. Uh, 30% of the U.S. population, adherents of all other religions, totaled about 6%. A Pew Research religion says as recently as the 90s, about 90% of U.S. adults identified as Christians. This figure has declined to about two-thirds of adults. So as ambassadors of Christ, you have your marching orders. Statistic, it, it's helpful. It gives you a snapshot, but it certainly does not tell the whole story. Stacey Abrams claims the sound of a fetal heartbeat at six weeks is manufactured. Now, how you would go about that, I'm not entirely sure. Do you implant something that produces something that resembles a heartbeat to manufacture uh, the sound? Anyway, Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams on Wednesday of last week says there's no such thing as a fetal heartbeat at six weeks of gestation. Okay. At an event at the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center in Atlanta, she claimed that the sound of such fetal heartbeat is manufactured by men seeking to take control of women. I don't know what she says to women who happen to also be doctors and hear this heartbeat. Well, the Georgia legislation known as the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act or heartbeat bill bans abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected, sometimes as early as six weeks. So how do you oppose the bill? You simply deny that the heartbeat is present at all. Well, the RNC research says the Georgia Democrat uh, saying there is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body. How you respond to women who make that claim, I don't know. But uh, the candidate stands by her uh, her position. Uh, Let's see. A Republican senator is looking to force a vote to end the years long national emergency declaration on COVID-19 following President Biden's statement. Now, this will become more uh, significant in my conversation with Mark Morano as we talk about these national emergencies, which, quite frankly, never expire. And they give uh, powers to the executive that they would not otherwise 
uh, wield. Anyway, the Wall Street Journal reports that a Republican senator is moving to force a vote on ending the year's long national emergency declaration on COVID-19, pointing to recent comments by the president that the pandemic is over. With just over a month to go until the midterm elections, the the, uh, senator of uh, Kansas on Thursday introduced a privileged resolution that calls for a vote to end the emergency declaration first declared in March of 2020 by then President Trump. Declaring an emergency allows the White House to use the National Emergencies Act to activate special executive powers. Mr. Biden said in an interview with CBS's 60 Minutes on Sunday that the pandemic is over. That's a quote, though he acknowledged that we still have a problem with COVID. Well, the comments came as his administration has asked Congress for billions of dollars for more funding for testing programs, clinical trials and research, and continues to keep the country under a national emergency declaration. The Washington Examiner weighs in, pointing out that last month the president unveiled a plan to forgive large swaths of student loan debt for millions. The legal underpinnings of the plan stem from the 2003 HEROES Act, which gives the government authority to forgive student loans during national emergencies and war. Well, the president's student loan alleviation plan is estimated to cost roughly $240 billion over the next 10 years because it doesn't just dissipate. It has to be paid. It will just be paid by people who didn't benefit from the loan and will clear up to $10,000 of federal student loans from borrowers with 125000 or less in annual income and up to $20,000 for borrowers who receive the Pell Grant. Reuters reports that um, the central banks raised interest rates mirroring the Fed hike. The global central banks continued raising interest rates on Thursday following the U.S. Federal Reserve in a fight against inflation that's sending shockwaves through financial markets and the economy. Japan, the outlier among major developed economies, kept interest rates steady on Thursday, only to be punished as traders pushed the yen to a record low against the dollar, prompting the first intervention by Japanese authorities to support the currency since 1998. The Wall Street Journal weighs in saying many central bank officials struggle with a crisis of public confidence after initially arguing that inflationary rises would be temporary, are now racing to raise interest rates to catch up with the soaring prices, but not so fast that they trigger unnecessary economic pain. Well, too late. Russia and Ukraine accuse one another of human rights violations. The U.N. is investigating world leaders at the United Nations on Thursday call for Moscow to be held accountable for human rights violations. In Ukraine, as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov defended Moscow's war and accused its neighbor of committing atrocities. Lavrov accused Ukraine of creating threats against Russian security and brazenly trampling the rights of Russians and Russian speaking speakers rather in Ukraine. He said countries supplying weapons to Ukraine and training its soldiers were parties to the conflict, adding that the intentional fomenting of this conflict by the collective West remained unpunished. So I'm sorry, I'm confused. Who started this whole thing? Who has the power to end it at a moment's notice? I don't think the answer is the West. When the Wall Street Journal weighs in, the creation of any tribunal to try war crimes is fraught with legal complications. And Thursday sessions highlighted the limits of the U.N. body to respond to the crisis. Well, in a trend, Chinese scientists and engineers are trending American universities, or rather trading American universities posts for positions in China. An increasing number of scientists and engineers of Chinese descent are giving up tenured positions at top-tier American universities to leave for China or elsewhere 
in a sign the U.S.'s fading appeal for a group that has been a driver of innovation. The trend, driven in part by what many of the scholars describe as an increasingly hostile political and racial environment, has caused the Biden administration to work with scholars of Chinese descent to address the concerns. More than 1,400 U.S.-trained Chinese scientists dropped their U.S. academic or corporate affiliation for a Chinese affiliation in 21, a 22 percent jump from the previous year. Well, the report by Strider Technologies describes what it calls a systematic effort by the government of China to place Chinese scientists at Los Alamos National Laboratory, where nuclear weapons were first developed. Many of the scientists were later lured back to China to help make advances in such technologies as deep earth penetrating warheads, hypersonic missiles, quiet submarines and drones. California is considering a ban on diesel trucks by 2040. California regulators are considering a ban on new diesel trucks by that year, according to a policy proposal due for review next month. Draft guidelines from the California Air Resources Board would also mandate that all medium-duty, heavy-duty trucks entering ports and rail yards must be zero emission, with state and local government fleets uh, reaching the standard by 2027. Leading automakers, however, have not yet brought um, electric semi-trucks to the market. So this is wishful thinking. Dennis Prager weighs in saying these people are powerful crackpots. The destruction that will take place, it's already happening. It's beginning in Europe, where vast numbers of people cannot afford to heat their homes in the winter. Not because of Putin. Putin is a secondary factor. The primary factor is Europe um, has stopped producing its own energy. So it relies on a thug named Putin. Well, in a poll, Americans believe sanctuary cities should share the immigration burden. National Review reports that a majority of likely U.S. voters believe that sanctuary cities should have to share the border uh, state's burden in dealing with an influx of illegal immigrants, according to a new CRC research poll conducted for the 85 fund. Sixty three percent of likely voters agree that sanctuary cities should have to share the burden, including 38 percent who strongly agree, 25 percent who somewhat agree. Almost 25 percent disagree, including 14.5 percent who strongly disagree and 10.3 percent who somewhat disagreed. Rather interesting. It's easy to declare one compassionate and ready to receive the tired, the weary, those who are looking and yearning to be free until they actually arrive from another state. Well, now some Democrats claim pro-life Republicans are a threat to democracy. Well, the charge is becoming a political cliche at this point and would be laughable, but for the fact that those making the charge are the ones bent on limiting Americans' constitutional rights. House Democrats are not only declaring MAGA Republicans a threat to democracy, fascists, and you could go on. They're also effectively categorizing anyone opposed to their policy agenda as a threat to democracy. Well, if being pro-life is a threat to democracy... Let it be. House Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries recently applied the threat to democracy label to pro-life conservatives such as Senator Lindsey Graham, claiming that if your top agenda is a nationwide ban on abortion, you deserve the label. Of course, this is all politics in the same breath. Democrats blast Republicans for standing against abortion while they then seek to eliminate American Second Amendment rights. Democrat Pete Aguilar demonstrated this when he stated a lot of these members support these radical extreme policies that are out of step with where the American people are um, on women's reproductive health, women's access to abortion, on gun safety. Just to remind Aguilar, while the Constitution specifically delineates Americans' right to bear arms, it nowhere delineates the right to abortion. In fact, a careful reading of the Constitution would oppose such a practice as it ends the life of the innocent without any due process. 
Well, the extremists and radicals on the issue of abortion are not the pro-life Republicans, but the Democrats. For that matter, Republican or Democrat, those who are radicals on the issue. If they uh, want to argue that painful late-term abortions are up until birth, like those taking place in Maryland, California, New York, Illinois, and right here in Oregon, make America a better place, they're free to do so. A spokesman for Senator Graham responded, the vast majority of Americans reject that position. How much time did you say I have? I wasn't paying attention. I was afraid to look up, lest I see that creature looking back at me. I see he's not uh, visible. I think the threat of a lawsuit probably probably sent him scurrying into the night to wherever, whatever lair he uh, he lives in. I'm talking about Baby Yoda, who was here earlier. Anyway, we're out of time for this segment, but the good news is there's another one coming up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Mark Morano. He's the author of The Great Reset, Global Elites, and The Permanent Lockdown, a book I would highly recommend. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Hey, did you know that you could win an iPad Air when you preview Pastor Alan Jackson's new book, Big Trouble Ahead. The book can help strengthen and encourage you for what's ahead, offering a real plan to help you flourish even in these challenging times. You can go to kpdq.com, sign up to download the first chapter of Big Trouble Ahead, and you'll also be entered to win a 64-gigabyte iPad Air that's loaded with the Pastor Alan Jackson sermons and a collection of his books, including Big Trouble Ahead. And Alan Jackson is our guest speaker for the KPDQ Pastor Appreciation Breakfast that's coming up on November 3rd. Again, all the important details at kpdq.com. Well, the House GOP unveiled their commitment to America. It's based on the spirit of Newt Gingrich's famously successful contract with America. The GOP House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy released the new agenda for Republicans to follow uh, should they retake the House in November. Titled The Commitment to America, the Republican plan will, as Douglas Andrews outlined, focus on four major policy themes. An economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. Under each of these broad themes, McCarthy plans further uh, delineates specific legislative goals, such as fighting inflation and lowering the cost of living, making America energy independent, reducing supply chain dependence on China, securing the the border, and combating illegal immigration, reducing crime, advancing a parent's bill of rights, protecting women's sports, confronting big tech censorship, upholding free speech, protecting the lives of the pre-born, holding Washington accountable by increasing rigorous oversight of government agencies, ending the House proxy voting, and much more. This further establishes the Republicans' roadmap for effecting positive change in the country and countering uh, their political opponents' radical left policy agenda, uh, McCarthy said at the announcement. A North Dakota man is free after reportedly admitting that he killed a teenager for being Republican. Senator McConnell is quietly optimistic Republicans will recapture the Senate and U.S. home sales declined for the seventh straight month. Germany is planning to nationalize the ailing Uniper uh, after Russian natural gas cuts. Germany was uh, has nationalized or will nationalize Uniper to save the country's largest gas uh, importer that was hit hard by Russian national uh, national gas 
natural gas cuts in Europe. The German uh, government said on Wednesday it would take a 99 percent stake in the energy giant and inject about eight billion dollars. Berlin will acquire the stake of Uniper's parent company, Finnish Utility. The House passed four policies, uh, four bills, despite Democrat division. Uh, And the U.S. Postal Service surveilled protesters with pro-gun, anti-Biden agendas. So are we now politicizing the U.S. Postal Service? Well, the U.S. watchdog estimates $45.6 billion in pandemic unemployment fraud. Dilbert gets canceled as the comics creator Scott Adams takes on woke environmental social governance or ESG business ratings um, uh, measures that uh, determine just how woke a corporation's policies are. Scott Adams' uh, syndicated comic strip, Dilbert, has been poking fun at the idiosyncrasies of office culture for 33 years. But earlier this month, Adams made an announcement on his podcast, Real Coffee with Scott Adams, that he was going to make a hard run at taking on the new corporate ESG ratings. And as new comic strips came out, Attacking ESG, newspapers started canceling the creator's syndication because of complaints from readers. Lee Enterprises, which runs 77 newspapers, just canceled their contract. And yes, New York's bail reform has increased crime. Well, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says Sunday that the Democrats know they will lose if the midterm elections end up being a referendum on President Biden. She served for about a year and a half as the uh, uh, president's Press secretary with their approval underwater media panels are warning Democrats on their midterm messaging and Laura Trump calls President Biden the anchor around the neck of the Democrat Party deadly attack. At least 15 people are dead and 24 others are injured after a gunman opened fire at a school in central Russia on Monday morning. It happened at a school in the region's capital. The shooter reportedly killed a guard and multiple children, according to the governor of the region, Alexander uh, Brechelov. Fighting a stigma, efforts to prevent military suicides are plagued by incomplete data, according to experts. And the housing market is in a recession. Record high housing prices in the U.S. could collapse by up to 20 percent over the next year if a recession sparked by Joe Biden's inflation takes hold, a top Wall Street economist has warned. Ian Shepardson, a chief economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics, pointed out that home prices have already declined by about 5% from their peak in May and will continue to tumble. According to his previous work, there are now 40% more single-family homes available than four months ago. Prices for homes sank by 0.7% in August, but Shepardson predicts a total decline of up to 20% by the middle of 2023. In other news, Governor Newsom has signed a bill allowing illegal immigrants access to state IDs. ABC reports that the governor signed a bill into law on Friday, allowing undocumented immigrants the opportunity to obtain state IDs. The legislation aims to support immigrants by expanding their access to state programs. Critics have argued it rewards people who enter the country illegally, and they've expressed concern about the cost of rolling out the new IDs. KTVU uh, says at AB 1766, the legislation, also known as the California IDs for All, was introduced by Assemblyman Mark Stone earlier this year. Anyone with a state ID can gain employment, health care, housing, and secure a bank account. 
Texans support Governor Abbott's busing illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities as the administration continues to ignore their responsibility of keeping the southern border secure. Republican governors are taking the issue into their own hands and sending the migrants elsewhere so the Democrats will be forced to get a grip on the crisis. The Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas found that 52 percent of Texan voters want the governor, Governor Abbott, to continue to bus migrants out of their state. A pro-life speaker and counselor has been arrested by the FBI for charges dropped by local courts. LifeSite News reports that a well-known pro-life author, sidewalk counselor and father of seven was the latest victim of a U.S. Department of Justice sponsored SWAT raid and arrest for supposed face act violations at his rural home as his children looked on screaming. Mark Houck is the founder and the president of the King's Men which promotes healing for victims of pornography addiction and promotes Christian virtues among men in the United States and Europe. Charlie Kirk weighs in, pointing out that the Biden regime sent 30 heavily armed FBI agents to arrest Mark Houck because he pushed a Planned Parenthood activist shouting profanities at his 12-year-old son. Where's the FBI on the 65-plus pregnancy centers that have been firebombed by left-wing domestic violent extremists? Well, they're busy. By the way, Mr. Houck had uh, offered to turn himself in prior to this rather dramatic raid. President Biden lied about gas prices and gets fact checked. Even CNN is calling out the blatant, well, misinformation. CNN reports that during a campaign style Friday speech at a Democratic National Committee event in Washington, the president boasted about the three month decline in gas prices and about the unemployment rate. But he used inaccurate figures on both subjects. The president's claim about average gasoline prices was false, as the White House acknowledged by correcting the official transcript after CNN inquired about the claim on Friday afternoon. RNC Research, seeking an opportunity to weigh in, uh, uh, points out that Biden uh, said in 41 states plus D.C., the average gasoline price is less than $2.99. That's completely made up. There are zero states with an average gas price of $2.99, and gas prices remain $1.31. Um, higher than when uh, the president took office. According to AAA, the national average is $3.71. Well, the poll indicates tight midterms with a determining factor being Biden's low approval rating. With control of Congress hanging in the balance, Republicans and Democrats are neck and neck in the weeks before the November midterm elections that are about 42 days away. That's according to a poll released on Sunday. Registered voters are giving the GOP the advantage on inflation, the economy and crime, while Democratic candidates are getting an edge on abortion and climate change. Asked if the election for the House were held today, 47% of voters said that they would choose the Republican candidate as compared to 46% who opted for the Democrat. Liz Cheney claims that if former President Trump becomes a GOP nominee, she will no longer be a Republican. The Wyoming GOP representative who lost her bid for reelection said at the Texans Tribune um, Festival on Saturday that if former President Trump becomes the Republican Party's nominee for president in 2024, she will not remain a Republican. I'm going to make sure Donald Trump, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure he's not the nominee. And if he is, I won't be a Republican, Cheney said. She also said she will campaign for Democrats to ensure that Republican candidates who promote election lies do not get elected. She was considering throwing her hat in the ring. I'm not sure where that stands at this point you're listening to the georgine rice show 
want to encourage you to stick around for the second hour, a conversation with Mark Morano. He is the author of The Great Reset. It's one of the most important books of the year, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I would like to extend an invitation to pastors and associates from around the Portland metro area. At KPDQ, we want to honor and thank your amazing work, our local pastors, ministry leaders, and spouses for your faithful service at the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast. It's coming up on Thursday, November 3rd, 8 a.m. at the Embassy Suites Portland Airport. It includes a fabulous breakfast, fellowship, worship music, I get a chance to help provide that and an uplifting message by Pastor Alan Jackson. This event is absolutely free, but space is limited and you need a reservation. So reserve your spot today. Get all the important info at kpdq.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, a Heritage Foundation analysis finds Americans have lost $4,200 in income due to inflation. New economic numbers show that the average American lost just that much in annual income under the Uh, Current administration because of inflation and higher interest rates under former President Trump's low inflation economy, the average American worker, their real annual earnings increased four thousand as completely wiped out in about a year and a half under the current leadership. Uh, Wage growth in the U.S. has risen to its highest in years, but most Americans uh, workers say their pay increases are not keeping pace with the rise in costs of everyday goods. Florida is preparing for a possible landfall of Hurricane Ian. Keep them in your prayers and we'll try to follow as it does if it does make landfall. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has endorsed a GOP abortion limiting bill. Extreme is a term Joe Biden loves to apply to Republicans whenever he opposes their policy positions. Inevitably, however, when GOP policy positions are objectively viewed, the extreme descriptor Quickly fades. One recent example of this dynamic was the president's condemnation of Senator Lindsey Graham's abortion limiting legislation known as the Protecting Pain Capable Unborn Children for Late Term Abortions Act. Well, the president labeled the bill extreme over its provision limiting abortion after 15 weeks only to instances of the mother's health, rape or incest. I happen to be practicing Catholic and my church doesn't even make that argument now, the president sanctimoniously declared. Well, Republicans have, he insisted, gotten more extreme in their positions. Well, the president might want to check with the Catholic Church before he makes pronouncements regarding its policy positions as the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops actually endorses Graham's bill. Archbishop William E. Laurie, who chairs the USCCB Committee on Pro-Life Activities, wrote, The Catholic Church remains clear and consistent in asserting that true justice demands the right to life, the most basic human and civil right for every child from conception to Onwards, no person or government has the right to take the life of an innocent human being, regardless of its stage of development, end quote. Well, Lori also contended that the USCCB strongly agrees that there is a federal role for protecting unborn human life. Well, a leftist group has outlined President Biden's play for a federal takeover of elections. When the president came into office, or I should say the candidate came into office, one of his agenda items was to increase the federal government's role over national elections. It's a blatantly anti-federalist agenda driven by the uh, desire to control democratic electoral outcomes. It is uh, indeed ironic, given the fact that the Democrats are the ones claiming Republicans are threatening democracy. 
Well, the truth is just the opposite. Last September, the president signed one of his many executive orders, this one directing federal agencies to push get-out-the-vote efforts. The administration has been largely opaque on how it's implementing this order, but has touted its effort as nonpartisan. But nothing could be further from the truth. The group uh, the Democrats have effectively written the playbook for a federal takeover of America's electoral system, a playbook that unsurprisingly the administration appears to be following step by step. One example has been um, um, uh, the history of lobbying both federal and state governments against the passage of what it calls excessive voter identification requirements. The president uh, erroneously characterized the Georgia election integrity law as Jim Crow 2.0 because it prominently includes updated uh, voter ID requirements for mail-in ballots. This is straight out of uh, the playbook. Biden's EO on voting is also following the script for uh, the Democrats. According to the group, the Biden-Harris administration can make voting more accessible by directing specific federal agencies and their administration of federal programs to act as voter registration agencies, including providing voter registration applications, assisting clients to complete applications and transmitting completed applications to state authorities, end quote. Well, the Obama Foundation has classified documents in an abandoned furniture warehouse Why is the Justice Department running an investigation into one president keeping of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida when a former president's foundation has been holding on to classified documents for years after the former president left office? Well, according to a letter dated September 11th, 2018, the Obama Foundation admitted that it had classified documents in its possession and that these documents had not been stored in a manner that met National Archives and Records Administration standards. The letter states the Obama Foundation agrees to transfer up to $3,300,000 to the National Archives Trust Fund to support the move to, to of classified and unclassified Obama presidential records and artifacts from Hoffman Estate to NARA controlled facilities that conform to the agency's archival storage standard for such records and artifacts and for the modification of such spaces in quote furthermore the foundation agreed to a deal with NARA to continue storing some of the classified documents even as the FBI has um, sicked on uh, Trump's estate for the exact same behavior as of the previous administration. I can't profess to understand it all, but it does seem to illustrate a double standard. I'm open to being persuaded otherwise. A majority of voters approve of uh, GOP governors busing of illegals to so-called sanctuary states. And Florida has petitioned the Supreme Court in the fight with big tech over social media access rules. Justin Trudeau lifts Canada's border vaccine mandate while Biden keeps America's and a judge allowed Arizona's near total ban on abortion to take effect. The U.S. Air Force Academy held a transgender visibility seminar and New Jersey plans to punish schools that don't teach 10 year olds about gender identity. In Russia, school shooting, at least 13 have died, 21 injured. That number is significantly higher since I wrote this report on this day in history, 1789. Thomas Jefferson is confirmed by the Senate to be the first U.S. Secretary of State. John Jay, the first Chief Justice. Edmund Ralph, the first Attorney General. 1892, John Philip Sousa and his newly formed band performed publicly for the first time at the Stillman Music Hall in Plainfield, New Jersey. 1955, following word that President Eisenhower suffered a heart attack, the New York Stock Exchange sees its worst price decline since 1929. 
1960, the first ever debate between presidential nominees takes, uh, takes place as Democrat John F. Kennedy and Republican John uh, Richard M. Nixon face off before a national TV audience from Chicago. 1964, Gilligan's Island premieres on CBS. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful ship that started from this tropic port aboard a tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough, the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship sat ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary Ann here on Gilligan's Isle. Now you think that's the end, but... So this is the tale of our castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb. The first mate and the skipper, too, will do their very best to make the others comfortable in the tropic island nest. No phones, no lights, no motor cars, no, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's primitive as can be. So join us here, week my friends, and sure to, let's see, you're sure to get a smile from seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan's Isle. Wow, I was a kid when that That was the end credits, wasn't it? <laughs> wow, that was the open to the show, and I think part of it was the end of the show. 1964. That was a minute or so ago. 1977, Sir Freddie Laker begins his cut-rate SkyTrain service from London to New York. The carrier would go out of business in 1982. 1986, William Rehnquist is sworn in as the 16th Chief Justice of the United States, while Antonin Scalia joins the Supreme Court as its 103rd member. 1990, the Motion Picture Association of America announced that it created a new rating, NC-17, to replace the X rating. It doesn't sound as bad, I guess, but it is as bad. 1996, President Clinton signs a bill ensuring two-day hospital stays for new mothers and their babies. And finally, 2009, film director Roman Polanski. He's arrested by Swiss police on an international warrant when he arrives in Zurich, to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from a film festival. Polanski had uh, fled the U.S. in 1978, a year after pleading guilty to unlawful uh, sexual contact with a 13-year-old girl. Polanski would spend two months in a Swiss jail and serve seven months of house arrest before Switzerland's government decided against extraditing him to the United States. Wow. Well, a new CBS YouGov poll shows Republicans with a slight lead over Democrats and the economy far ahead of abortion as the top issue on voters' minds just weeks ahead of the November midterm election. According to the National Poll of Registered Voters, 46% of respondents said they plan to support a Republican candidate just one point ahead of the 45% who said they plan to support a Democratic candidate. Of the voters who said they were likely to vote in November, 82% said the economy was very important to them as they they cast their vote. 
76% said inflation was very important, which is essentially one and the same. Falling further down the list was abortion, which Democrats across the country have made a focal point in their campaign messaging. Just 59% of likely voters said that it was very important to them as they cast their vote, and 20% said it wasn't important, compared to just 2% for the economy and 4% for inflation. Midterm election about 42 days away. I mentioned it briefly, but I think it bears expanding. An Arizona judge ruled on Friday that the state can enforce a near total ban on abortion that had been blocked for nearly five decades. The 1901 law bans all abortions except in cases in which the mother's life is in jeopardy. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour and in the second hour, a conversation with Mark Morano. He is the author of The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. One of the best books of the year. I hope you can stick around. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. And I'm glad you're listening because this is going to be an important conversation. Not because I'm half of it, but because of the book we're going to be talking about, The Great Reset. Well, as inflation and prohibitively high gas and energy prices have crippled hardworking families across America, I don't need to tell you that, and recession grips the nation, best-selling author and ClimateDepot.com publisher Mark Morano reveals the startling truth about how America got here in his new book, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. It was published just last month. He exposes the goals of global elites to shackle economies and make the populace increasingly dependent on tyrannical policies that will eliminate private property and liberty. Uh, In the book, he issues both a warning and a call to action for the public, which is good news. There's something we can do showing that inflation and staggeringly high gas prices are only the beginning if the new leftist world order succeeds. Well, Mark Moreno is publisher of the award winning ClimateDepot.com, a global warming and eco news center founded in 2009. Newsweek magazine declared him uh, a quickly uh, becoming king of the skeptical in December of 2009, a moniker he wears with pride. The Daily Beast described Climate Depot as a bustling one-stop shop for climate skeptics. Well, prior to Climate Depot, he served for three years as a senior advisor, speechwriter, and climate researcher for U.S. Senator James Inhofe and managed the award-winning communication operations of the GOP side of the EPW committee. He joined the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee as the Majority Communications Director in 2006 after a decade and a half as a working journalist, documentary maker, radio talk show host, national television correspondent and i could go on but we wouldn't have time for the conversation so just suffice it to say we're delighted to have uh, mark morano with us today to talk about the new book the great reset welcome and thank you so much for joining us today thank you happy to be here today to talk about thank you very much this is significant because I think it fills in the blanks and answers questions that lots of people have about the direction we're going and the implications of decisions we've seen made on our behalf, in quotes, uh, in uh, recent days, particularly around the, uh, the pandemic. Let's begin by talking about what is the Great Reset? The Great Reset is essentially been around for over 100 years. You can even go back centuries. But in the U.S., it really started with Woodrow Wilson. And the concept is... A managerial state, the administrative state, government experts, 
expertocracy are going to rule over every aspect of our life that we can't we are unwashed masses and we can't just make decisions for ourselves like what kind of car to drive or what kind of food we can eat whether hamburgers are okay whether gas powder cars that left to our own devices will destroy the earth will create inequity racism environmental destruction so therefore every aspect of our life needs to be managed now this has been around it went through fdr it's gone on through um it also shows a foreign policy in a nationalism sense, uh, in a uh, internationalism sense, where they want to get rid of national borders. But essentially, everything really came together with the COVID lockdowns. The Great Reset's coming from the World Economic Forum, and two months after the COVID lockdowns hit the world in June of 2020, uh, they, the World Economic Forum president, uh, Klaus Schwab, announced we had a rare, narrow window of opportunity by which to reset the world and reset capitalism. And essentially what they meant is they're going to use the COVID lockdowns to collapse current systems and then come back with a new normal or a great reset, build back better, and there's the other phrase that they like to use. And so that's a great reset. It really needs the COVID lockdowns. And the idea is it's radical change in your life that you never voted for. I'll give you a quick example. But first of all, they're collapsing our energy, our transportation, our food systems, our First Amendment rights, and we didn't vote for any of that. We didn't vote to end gas-powered cars. They came through executive orders, through unelected bureaucrats, through the banking system. We didn't vote to end meat-eating, but they're trying to make it rare and expensive with all their policies, net zero, shutting down farms, shutting down modern agriculture, fertilizer. We didn't vote to end gas-powered cars. We didn't vote for energy shortages. So this is how they do it. They do it through emergency powers, which is another reason the Great Reset, World Economic Forum, UN, World Health loved COVID because it gave them Chinese-style one-party rule. And in fact, they weren't uh, covert about it. They were very open in their conversations about the opportunity it presented to impose certain strictures on the, the world in general. Now, let's talk about the World Economic Forum. Who are these people? Are they, are, are they just meddling rich people who want to exercise authority they don't have and were not elected to, um, to exert? Or are these people we need to be very concerned about, and do they wield some authority and power? They wrote a lot of authority and power because what they did, this was a group founded in 1971 by Klaus Schwab. And his, his uh, really niche, if you will, is he has these meetings every year in Davos, Switzerland. And he has this, among the members include King Charles, um, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, all of the corporate uh, entities basically in the world, academia, major corporate media figures. And the idea is they bypass, they can meet with government leaders and they bypass lobbying regulations. They bypass all sorts of scrutiny. No media can cover it unless you're literally hand selected and approved by the World Economic Forum. They would never let any you know, critical media in. And what they've done with these meetings is they've plotted and come up with these plans where they come. And you can see this at the last one in May. Uh, in Davos, Switzerland, the Klaus Schwab actually said, it's everyone here in this room, we get to decide the future of the planet. I, like, they actually believe it's like a maniacal James Bond villain, but they have incredible power mm-hmm. because he can pick up his phone and call any government corporate leader. And this is where the Great Reset really comes to shine. It's a government corporate collusion. And we're seeing this with the First Amendment. Big tech censorship is... Uh, Government censorship, it's a violation of our First Amendment because the, you know, the administration will send over a list of websites, names, and big tech says, we got it, they're eliminated, what else do you have? Biden will send over more. It's outsourcing uh, to, to, uh, to allegedly private companies, and that's where this is all about. 
It's the idea of you'll own nothing and be happy. That actually goes back decades in UN meetings where they say ownership of property creates concentration of wealth and inequity. So the idea is it's sort of a return, like if you remember the old company towns with coal miners Mm -hmm. and other industries where they would have, as long as you worked at at the plant, you had a house, a minimal house, and your family had a place where you got injured or out, you were out of there. And that's sort of the way this is. You can have some semblance of a life like a surf under the vision of the Great Reset. But if you get crosshairs with those in power, you'll lose access to your own money, as we saw what Justin Trudeau did. That was a great reset in action, working with banks, government, corporate collusion to declare the protesters in Canada, the Freedom Convoy against the vaccine mandates, declare them a domestic terrorist threat. Banks were more than eager to cut off their money. GoFundMe pages shut down. If you made a, if you made donuts for them, you could have your money shut off. Spouses, kids could have their money shut off. If you gave a thumbs up on Facebook, uh, you know you could have your access to your own banking shut off. This is the, this is the most incredible advancement of government raw power that we've seen in our lifetime. And it really began with COVID lockdowns. It was activated by COVID lockdowns. It didn't begin with it, but that's what made this the real threat it is. It really accelerated and gave them the greatest opportunity of, of late yes. to try to impose their their points of view. Now, you mentioned food insecurity. Food crisis was just the ticket for um, more chaos that the World Economic Forum could exploit for, for their reset agenda. Uh, and you write about Bill Gates, who's now the nation's largest farmland owner. There's concern yeah. growing about China buying up farmland in, in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about food insecurity? And it's hard to imagine that there'd be a coordinated effort to, to challenge what we have enjoyed in this country in terms of access and production uh, to food. It's incredible. But this is what happens when you have activist politicians and weak Republicans for decades virtue signaling to the agenda. Yes, climate is a problem, and yes, we need to do everything we can. We need net zero. We need green agenda. We need the U.N. So what happened was 2019 U.N. comes up with an agricultural report, and they identify nitrogen as this dangerous uh, greenhouse gas that can no longer allow the use of it, like the, with the level of using that we're using in modern farming. Well, this is one of the reasons we have high-yield agriculture. Modern fertilizer farmer farming is one of the reasons we don't have to clear cut land. It saves species because we can increase the yield per acre. If you go, for instance, organic like Sri Lanka did, you need a lot more land. You need the deforestation. You harm a lot more animal species. So this accelerates and it started in, in, in Europe in, in recent, in the last year, Netherlands are now going to be closing almost 12,000 farms. And they're not the big agribusiness Bill Gates farms. These are going to be the small family-run farms that have been owned by the same families for generations. It's going to bankrupt them. So there's huge rebellion going on there. Poland, Albania, same type of rules are being ordered by mm-hmm. judges, by these, all these mandates. Canada is now following suit. Australia is now following suit. In the United States, we're a little bit behind the green agenda, but this is exactly where we're headed. There's worry of a Chinese land monopoly. Well, I got good news. China was outmuscled by Bill Gates. Bill Gates is gobbling up more distressed farmland than China. He was crowned by NBC News last year as the, the America's largest single farmland owner. Now, why does Bill Gates want to own all this farmland? What could the possible reason be? Well, he wants to have influence over how agricultural land is used, and his entire goal is to end meat-eating in wealthy nations, Canada, Australia, Europe, United States. He wants to end it, not like, oh, we're going to reduce it 50%. He wants to end it, and he wants to go over to what can only be called lab-grown meat. 
Bill Gates is investing. It went from millions in investment to now billions per year. And they get stem cells from a cow, the fetal blood from an unborn cow. They put it in a lab. They grow it. It grows into something that looks like a blob, and it has an immune system, and they have to be really careful with it or else it gets you know, the meat can get contaminated. And they get these mutant pods, and then they make them with food coloring, and they get a 3D printer, and they work on the texture, and they engineer it with cholesterol and fat. I'm not making any of this up. You can watch it. And this is what Bill Gates is pushing. And the idea is the end product will look like meat, and we'll think, oh, there's meat. But technically, it's derived from meat because it's from, it's, uh, again, think of the old movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's like a pod growing into something that's supposed to resemble meat after a few months. That's why Bill Gates, that's got to be the key reason he's gobbling up farmland. Uh, and, of course, China wants it because China has trouble feeding their own people. And the more land they can get in agriculture, it also gives them a lot of leverage and control in the United States. And we're allowing this to happen. I mean, there's now a lot of pushback against foreign loan agriculture. But the question is, do you want Bill Gates or China to win that? In some ways, it's better if China wins the battle for owning farmland, because theoretically we could push them out. But it's much harder with someone like Bill Gates, who gives $300 million plus to the media for positive coverage and controls global health, controls, has strong opinions about lockdowns, freedom. Is much more influential and dangerous, I think, than China, even at this point, for mm-hmm. the, for U.S. freedom. We're talking with uh, Mark Morano. He is the author of a book I think you must read, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. How much over were we so I can adjust? Can you spread that out over the next couple segments? Okay, sorry about that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Mark Morano. He is the author of The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. This is a book I highly recommend. It's published by Regnery and gives us a, a clearer understanding of what's going on. It seems there are these disparate things happening that are somehow disconnected, and yet um, in the book he he writes about how, in fact, they are connected and what the future will look like, and most importantly, what we can do to prevent that from uh, from happening. Uh, absolutely fascinating book. Um, where and how did the vision for The Great Reset start? You t- talked a little bit about the history of it, but where we stand today, was it always the kind of vision that's being espoused now by these world leaders, or did it evolve over time uh, into this, what to me seems like a Soviet-style uh, administrative state? Yeah, well, it's evolved. But, you know, if you go back to Woodrow Wilson, it was really a, I don't want to use the word noble, but it was a, they weren't necessarily evil people. They were looking at a society, trying to figure out how best to run it. And they actually thought they'd be doing, you know, the population a favor by letting experts make all these decisions and people would just sort of follow, be a managerial class, their lives would be managed, they'd have less decisions, less stress. And of course, the experts being highly educated could make the best decisions that, that average, you know, average uneducated American couldn't make at the time. So, I'm not saying it was an evil thing, but any time you try to repress human freedom, it, it ended up evil. But it was it was good intentions, is what I'm getting at, is how how this was built and, and started and appealed to a lot of people. As, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Why you know? And even apply that today. 
if a mother of a of a kid, say a high school dropout mother had a kid who was in kindergarten eight hours a day, forced to wear a mask, she goes to school board. I saw this happen. They'd say, are you an epidemiologist? Are you a scientist? How can you, who hmm. never finished school, have any opinion on your kid? The experts say your child has to be masked eight hours a day. It's that concept. So we go through the 1930s. Uh, Roosevelt has a, a, an advisor named Stuart Chase who literally laid out a 1930s vision of the Great Reset. And if you fast forward, Lyndon Johnson did a little bit of it. And then, of course, 9-11 helped bring a lot. We were still living under 9-11 emergency decree. That brought us the, the, the domestic biosecurity state based with the Patriot Act. And then COVID came along, and that gave us track and trace, and it gave emergency powers and lockdowns. I mean, so... And the difference between, and the way it's evolved, is you no longer need, in order to do this kind of great reset tyranny on the public, you no longer need secret police or gulags or barbed wire fences. You can just unperson someone instantly and make them irrelevant. We're getting more and more reports of people uh, who, who get in crosshairs. One of them was an MMA fighter. They immediately lose all social media. They lose access to their Gmail account. And, of course, we know that they can cut off access to banking. That hasn't directly um, happened like it has in Canada, in the U.S., but that's coming. We've had other things where uh, President Trump's national security advisor, General Flynn, was, was, his credit card was taken away by Visa because they said he was a reputational risk to be associated with someone because of association with Trump. So we're already seeing um, that happen. And, and when they, they want to have programmable money as well. This is all new. So it's the old ideas from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even previous centuries, but it's adapting to the new technology. And we're really copying China now. This is the social credit mm-hmm. system. In other words, you want to drive your electric car? By the way, they can now cut off your Tesla for lack of payment. They don't need to send the repo, man. They can decommission it. There was talk of them doing that in Russia with average citizens decommissioning their electric cars. So they also have a national charging grid. They can shut that off, make your access. Once they mandate all electric cars, which is what we're, we're on the path to do, you can't start your car unless you're in good standing. You can't use your bank card. You can't get charging ports. They could cut you off from that. Uh, in fact, we get to the point where you go to a store, you use your credit card, and it says, sorry, until you delete your, your hate tweet or you know, your, your violation of uh, uh, of." of our terms and services, you cannot use this card. And that's the world. It's, it's complete control. So they can eliminate almost immediately any dissenters. We saw this in COVID, the Great Barrington Declaration. These were Nobel Prize winning epidemiologists from Stanford, Harvard, um, major universities. And they were, Anthony Fauci met with Francis Collin behind the scenes and worked in collusion. Once again, that collusion, mm-hmm. i.e. fascism, to literally suppress any dissent from award Nobel Prize winning scientists against lockdowns. That's how this works. And so the Great Reset has been around, but now they're using the latest tools of digital tyranny to really bring it home. And that's what makes this so terrifying because MasterCard and Visa have teamed MasterCard and UN have teamed up. New credit card started last year, monitors your carbon footprint. Once you spend, hit your carbon max, it cuts off your ability to spend money. It's voluntary right now, but how long will that be voluntary? Mm, absolutely incredible. We're talking about the book, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. The book is published by Regnery. I would highly recommend it. Let me let me uh, talk about a bit the uh, the current crisis that we're seeing in America. We've got high inflation, recession, high gas prices. 
Um, they're related to the Great Reset. They're exploited by the Great Reset. It's a, another fasc- expression of a fascist uh, experiment. Um, how might we see this implemented moving forward? You, you mentioned some of the uh, partnerships with technology and those in positions of authority. Um, are these useful tools in the hands of uh, these elites who want desperately to reorient society or what might we expect? Well, what you expect is, first of all, like the Green New Deal, I always say these are not the unintended consequences, you know, energy shortages and blackouts and inflation. These are the intended consequences, because what they ultimately want to do, and they're doing the same with agriculture, they're going to do the same with transportation. And this is what I referred to Roosevelt's 1930s kitchen cabinet advisor, student Chase, Stuart Chase. They want to be able to collapse our current system, create chaos, and then say, well, look, the free market failed. We have to nationalize this. Government and corporations, we're going to work together. It won't be socialism. We're going to keep it. The companies will be private, but the government's going to have to take over all these decisions because the free market messed it up. In the case we were talking earlier about food, this was literally government policies on climate shutting down high-yield agriculture, creating massive food shortages, and, and also on, on the heels of the lockdown, which they're saying is going to have the U.N., the uh, all these international agencies that monitor food and, po- and hunger are, are saying there's going to, the explosion of hunger is going to go through, go through the roof. So what they're doing is they're going to blame this somehow on the failure of, you know, we can't leave farmers their own devices. They need to be managed. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're going to come up with more policies that will create even more shortages because government ruins everything it touches in that regard. But this is in, it's designed. They're collapsing current systems, building up in their image. And then they're going to basically try to you know, use that as an excuse to even take over more. The more the chaos is there, the better chance they have of imposing revolutionary. And the fact that climate activists say this is transformational. We need a complete transformation of every aspect of our life in order to fight climate change. And that's why the COVID lockdowns were that huge opportunity. And that's why Build Back Better is you collapse the current system and then you build it back to a new normal in your image. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, people are waking up. In Italy is a very promising election that just happened um, with the new prime minister in in Italy, who's being called a fascist, ironically enough, by the (laughs) New York Times, which is the opposite of. They've denounced fascism, and it's actually, you know, Mussolini is actually left-wing, not right-wing. He was a socialist. You don't usually affiliate socialists with the right-wing. We're talking with Mark Morano. He is the author of The Great Reset. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, I would highly recommend the book, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. If you want to understand uh, what we're seeing and scratching our heads trying to put together, this book puts the pieces together to help us understand. But not only that gives us direction. What can we do to prevent this from moving forward? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Mark Morano. He is the publisher of the award-winning ClimateDepot.com, a global warming and eco-news center founded in 2009. Newsweek declared that Morano uh, is quickly becoming king of the skeptics in December of 2009, and the Daily Beast described Climate Depot as a bustling one-stop shop for climate skeptics. His latest book is The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, an excellent book to help us better understand what's going on 
and how to respond effectively. The book is forwarded by Sebastian Gorka. Now, President Biden, and you mentioned uh, declaring emergencies and how those are exploited, but President Biden has been talking about a so-called climate emergency. How have uh, liberal elites used the climate as the guise for implementing their Great Reset policies? Well, I actually have two chapters in the book devoted to the COVID climate connection. So first off, you mentioned Joe Biden. According to the Washington Post Associated Press, he is set to declare a national climate emergency, which would give him 130 new executive powers. These would extend to mayors, governors. They would give them more opportunities for things like thermostat controls, banning gas-powered cars, banning cars in the city, banning meat, uh, anything that they could say is anti-climate, and we have to get a hold of this, and we need a transformation, and this is a, we have emergency powers. You'll never be able to end that emergency because... There is no definition by which the climate crisis could ever be solved. So in the book, I detail how a Gates Soros-funded professor named Mariana Mazzucato in Europe actually came up, used the phrase climate um, lockdown, saying unless we change our ways immediately, we're going to need in the future more lockdowns, this time for the climate. Mm. And the climate lockdowns are frightening because they go, they literally go through every aspect, almost of what we're dealing with now, but it's, it's a imposed um, uh, planned recessions to fight global warming. They're going to be struggling down uh, uh, emissions and economic growth. They openly talk about car restrictions, meat restrictions, size of where you live. They go after car ownership, and they talk about how you know uh, we need a roving fleet of rental electric cars you can order up. That the out, the concept of owning a car is outdated 20th century thinking. And so this is where it's frightening. And I detail in great detail, 230 medical journals, Harvard Medicine are all basically saying that the same template we use for COVID, i.e. lockdowns and public you know, health directives and dictates and should be used on climate. And this is 230 medical journals signed off on this. The journal Nature, the uh, British Medical Journal. I mean, it's incredible when you look through it. These once esteemed journals are all in on basically declaring climate a public health threat because they know how much power they get. And this is what the World Health Organization has already declared climate change, one of the greatest health threats of the 21st century. So that gives them the same kind of COVID mentality and powers. That's what we're facing. And that's that's what the World Economic Forum under the Great Reset, the speech actually said, we need a great reset this time using climate. Hmm. What would everyday life look like under the Great Reset? You gave us a uh, a bit of a picture of uh, what it would mean to yep. try to transport oneself from one spot to another without their own vehicle. What would it look like? You go to the grocery store, you got to cross town to get something. What might we anticipate if they're successful, which uh, certainly leads to the question what we can do in response. But what would everyday life look like under the Great Reset? Well, yeah, the vision of the Great Reset, you can watch the slick videos and I include screenshots and extensive quotes in the book, but you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. This is according directly from the World Economic Forum, the authors of the Great Reset. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Everything you want will be delivered by drone. Climate change will be the number one priority. The U.S. will no longer be the world's superpower. Meat will be a rare treat. Uh, and they go through and they explain, they actually have more detailed explanations how you'll live rent free because your house will have multi-use and other people will come in during the day. You may have a business meeting that'll pay the rent. And, and so they lay out this really dystopian uh, vision of the future and it's a collective. 
more people will be living in cities. You won't have private car ownership. You'll be on mass transit to the extent that you go anywhere, but they really don't want you even using mass transit. They want you at home. They want you uh, as much as possible captive in your home. And that's why I'm going to pause here and say, go back to the COVID lockdowns. The first two months of that, when it was most severe in the United States, that literally is what they loved. And I include in these chapters on the COVID climate connection, environmental activists after environmental activists praising the COVID lockdowns as the great way we should have been fighting climate all this time. In other words, you'll see the phrase, if we, what we can do this for a virus, we can do it for the climate. So that's going to be the world. The idea is you're going to be forced at home. You'll be monitored. And here's the kicker. If you go against any of the dictates, you don't wear a mask, you don't get the vaccine, you drive a gas-powered car, they'll come after you. You'll, they'll come after financing. They'll come after um, you and in, in, in ways you couldn't even imagine because that's that's the way it's working. And in the book, I detail how mm-hmm. many countries, people who didn't get vaccines, couldn't even go use their bank cards. Their bank cards would be cut off. So that that that's a vision of a world in which it's just total digital tyranny. And I also show what's happening in China because what's happening in China is pretty much would be our future. And I go in great detail, a whole chapter devoted to sort of the Chinese social credit system and how you have to submit your life to an app, track and trace people around you. If you have financial problems or you've been a drug, drug addiction, people around you will be alerted that you're nearby. You're considered a, a reputational risk, so to speak. You'll have a lower score. It's a very arbitrary system. But the idea is you have to be in agreement with the regime in power. And that's the most frightening thing. You want to take a subway? If you're not, if you're not, if you're, you know, gotten tickets for not wearing a mask during some pandemic, you may not have a ticket to even use mass transit. They're going to, they're going to uh, close that down. So there's a whole dystopian vision, but the World Economic Forum is more than happy to lay it out for you. And I use their quotes in the book. Yeah, you're going to, you have nothing and you'll like it. I'm going to take a very quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about what everyday average Americans can do to resist the policies of the Great Reset and fight back against this liberal world order being implemented. Again, the title of the book, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. Mark Morano is my guest. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Mark Morano. He is the author of a book you must read, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. If you want to know what's happening and what will happen unless we respond in some uh, constructive way, uh, you need to read the book. Now, I asked before the uh, the last break, what can the average American do to resist the policies of The Great Reset? This sounds overwhelming. How can we fight back against this liberal world order that's already being implemented? Well, we're seeing it. The greatest example I use in the book is the school board level. The lowest level of politics has brought huge transformational change in America fighting back against this. In Virginia, my home state, the Loudoun County, Virginia, led the country, I believe, at least in terms of attention, parents getting arrested, fighting critical race theory, fighting a transgender agenda, fighting the COVID theater, the lockdown, the, the mask mandates and the vax mandates. And because of that, they toppled a Democratic Party machine in Virginia, shocked the country. Almost the same thing happened in, uh, in New Jersey, but it happened locally across the country as well in many counties and other areas and cities. It was an amazing thing to watch the rebellion 
begin. People saying we're not going to take it anymore. That led the Democratic Party doing focus groups. And I quote in the book, the New York Times reporting that this so freaked out the Democratic Party, the energy of the rebellion against COVID lockdowns and mandates that every major city from San Francisco, Baltimore, Washington, New York, uh, and, and Philadelphia lifted their mask mandates after these uh, elections and after the Democrats were able to absorb the shock. And so all these liberal Democrat cities lifted it. That's an example. Fight at the lowest level. And I go through, you have to fight at every level. Fight the mask mandates, the vax mandates, the social distancing, any kind of lockdown in the future. Fight to make politicians at the local, state, federal level fight bans on gas, fight bans on agriculture, on meat eating, on First Amendment rights. So you have to, we have to transform the opposition party, if you will. That's one of the biggest things. And change the narrative. And we also need reform of emergency powers. Because right mm-hmm. now, we're still living under the 9-11 emergency. We're still living under COVID. Once they declare the climate, we're going to be living under that indefinitely. We have to have very specific criteria in which a politician can gain that kind of power. Because I detail in the book, going back to the Roman Republic, the greatest abuses of government uh, human rights violations against its citizens have occurred during times of emergency powers. And that's exactly what we saw with COVID. Now, what you outlined is a, a system in which you are held accountable for the simplest of things. How costly is it going to be to fight back? And what will be the cost if we fail to do so? Well, I mean, you're, if we don't fight back, and this is you know, Naomi Wolf, I quote in the book, she talks about, I guess it's the 10 stages uh, of losing a democracy and tyranny, dictatorship. She said we're like at step nine. And once you get past a certain point, it's become, once you're fighting in what you call a technocracy, which is essentially a fascist uh, system using the power of the latest digital technocracy to, to, as I mentioned, de-person you, cut off access to communication, cut off access to money. It's going to be very hard. We need to fight back now. In fact, the way I'd practically say it is we need Republican leadership, Republican House, Republican senators to say, I will do everything in my power. We will not ban gas-powered cars. We will not make meat more expensive. We will not harm modern agriculture. We will not allow censorship. I mean, this has to be like a contract, a very simple four or five point thing. And I think these candidates would win huge. Instead, you have pathetic Republican leadership in Washington from Kevin McCarthy, the House leader, to Mitch McConnell, who were nary, nary said a word during COVID lockdowns, mask mandates, vaccine mandates. So we have to clean house. Hopefully, you know, there'll be new energetic uh, Republicans that would come in. They're pro- and we also have to unite with Democrats because I have a whole chapter devoted to left-wing progressive Democrats who we can argue about all, you know, abortion and gun rights even, but we have to join up with these ones. They are disgusted by the Great Reset. And they include everyone from Naomi Wolf, the Clinton Gore advisor, to Jimmy Dore, to the socialist Hollywood actor, Russell Brand, uh, to Glenn Greenwald, who's come over now. I mean, there's, so I, I, I argue, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who is another huge one. So I argue we need to work with them and unite. It's no longer left-right politics. Mm-hmm. This is tyranny versus freedom. Are you optimistic? Obviously, this book will help inform the American people, but the American people uh, responding in the way that you suggest leaders uh, waking up to what's happening. Are you optimistic that we can prevent this great reset from um, sweeping across the, the fruited plains? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm optimistic as long as people are aware of it and they fight back. The problem has been 
you know, I've been fighting this climate battle for 15 years, 20 years, actually, since 2001, screaming the top of my lungs that look at what they're doing. They're shutting down. But no one really paid that much attention. And Republicans went along and people were never that concerned because they never felt the policies. Well, now they're feeling the policies. This is, you know, when you have California facing blackouts, when you have Europe facing a physical lack of energy, when you have uh, firewood, people chopping down forests in Europe saying wood is more uh, valuable than gold because they've starved themselves to energy. So I think once people realize what's happening and they see it and feel it, which I think they have in the last two and a half years, I think we can awake the sleeping bear and stop this virtue signaling to all these, mm. you know, woke ideas that get us into this mess in the first place. And I think COVID, I guess emphasize again, COVID was the wake up. Most of the public was willing to go along with two weeks to flatten the curve, thinking this is an unprecedented virus. It wasn't thinking it was going to be worse than the Spanish flu. It wasn't thinking that somehow staying home for two weeks would impact the trajectory of the virus. It didn't, but they were willing to do it because they were afraid and they thought it was unprecedented and they gave sort of a, what's the word? They allowed some latitude to government officials. I hope they'll never do that again. And I hope we have reforms and I hope this wakes people up because the aftermath of that, when they realize how much all these politicians they entrusted loved it. And I had a whole thing on Donald Trump today. Donald Trump is not blameless in this. He went along mm-hmm. with the lockdown at one point. He criticized the Georgia governor months into it for opening up Jim, saying it was too soon. And Donald Trump's chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, was on TV saying, someone asked him, when's the economy going to open up? And end of April of 2020, or third week in April, and he said, I don't know, that's up to the medical community. So they ceded control of the entire United States economy over to Anthony Fauci at all. Now, now he was duped. He would never do it again, but he's, I think he should have known better, and I argue that in the book, because we knew what Fauci was for decades, and we knew what public health had become. It's the most progressive branch uh, in terms of Russia division of the United States government, it really is. And it's become almost like teachers unions. All the woke leftists have joined in the public health and they are ready to, they are ready to rock and roll. That's why the biggest threat I think we face to implement this is the World Health Organization pandemic treaty where Bill Gates funded scientists can just declare a pandemic and the member stations who sign on and Joe Biden is pushing the U.S. to join this treaty, this pandemic treaty, we would be we could be internationally locked down, ban on travel, uh, vax mandates, all imposed for our own good by experts who know better than we are. And if we, it's kind of like climate. You can't challenge climate. Are you a climatologist? Have you ever done peer review paper? Same thing. We can't challenge it. Are you a virologist? Are you an epidemiologist? This is how they, they silence, they intimidate you like that. So I'm hoping the public wakes up. Yeah, well, I hope so, too. Once again, the book is titled (laughs) The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. Mark Morano, thank you so much, not just for the conversation, but for the book that is a wake-up call, giving all of us an opportunity to respond in a way that can put an end to this uh, this travesty. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. Thanks. Yeah, The Great Reset, Mark Morano. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I want to thank Chris Williams for producing and engineering today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.